O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen. Advent begins in the dark. So writes one of the greatest preachers of our times, the Reverend Fleming Rutledge. As the church begins a new liturgical year on the first Sunday of Advent, we can't help but notice the precariousness of the world in which we live, a climate crisis that will soon cause untold suffering, a pandemic going on two years and showing signs of a fifth wave of infections and hospitalizations, and political and social divisions that seem to threaten the very fabric of our society, not to mention all of the personal darknesses that we all face, depression, grief, addiction, struggling children, aging parents, and difficult work situations. To be sure, there are plenty of good things that we could point to, but whether we want to call it pessimism or realism, it does seem like things have gone off the rails. And this is how every Advent begins, in the dark, even Advents when things seem to be better. One of the great prayers of the season of Lent notes that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Even in the best of times, we always struggle against temptation, doubt, selfishness, and fear. In order to prepare fully to receive the light of Christ, we have to acknowledge the darkness in which we find ourselves. Now, before going any further, I want to name a discomfort that I have with this terminology of darkness and light. To put it plainly, in our context, there are clearly racial overtones to that sort of language. To associate darkness with bad things and light with good is to use a framework that feeds racist stereotypes. This is our baggage, though. For biblical authors such as Isaiah or Jeremiah, Luke or Paul, this was not an issue, as those words did not carry that sense of racial connotation. But they do for us. So it's a question of how we use language and symbols that have become more complicated. Now, I've been struggling with this question for years, and I don't know what the right answer is. Many scholars, both black and white, make compelling arguments on every side of the equation. Perhaps the best that we can do is simply to name the problem that this sort of language can cause and be careful when we use metaphors like light and dark. And if nothing else, whenever we talk about darkness and light, we can rightfully reject the interpretation that black is bad and dirty and white is good and pure. But for both Jeremiah and Luke, whom we heard from this morning, there was a sense of dark despair. Jeremiah was an imprisoned and rejected prophet who wrote about the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of the Jewish people. In Luke, we heard Jesus talk about the impending day of the Lord and the sense of fear and foreboding that will accompany it. Like Jeremiah, at the time of Luke's writing, Jerusalem had been besieged and sacked by an invading army. For both of them, 
the world as they had known it had ended, and the light of hope had gone out. It's a feeling that we can understand in a way that perhaps was not possible just a few years ago. This coronavirus pandemic has obliterated normalcy. Now, I know that I've been more cautious than many. Some of that is just the quirks of my personality. Some of that is that until just this past week, my children were not able to be fully vaccinated. But having to decide if gathering with family for the holidays, especially when not all of them are vaccinated, deciding if that's worth the risk or not, is not normal. The awkwardness of knowing whether or not we're supposed to wear a mask when we show up to a social event is not normal. The concern over every cough and sniffle is not normal. The trauma that we have put our nurses and physicians through is not normal. Working from home, even if that's a nice option to have every now and then, is not normal. Watching church on a screen is not normal. I'm not saying it's bad, but it is not normal. In January 2020, our average Sunday attendance here at St. Luke's was about 165. Right now, it's about 80. That is not normal. At the end of 2020, we were hoping for a return to normal. At the close of 2021, we now realize that normal, as we knew it, is gone. Now, maybe normal wasn't all it was cracked up to be, but at least it was predictable, and we were accustomed to it. And this is where the metaphor of darkness really is helpful. In the dark, we have to move slowly so that we don't run into something or fall into a trap. In the dark, we cannot see what lies in front of us. In the dark, we are vulnerable and on edge. In the dark, we have less certainty and less control. The dark, though, is also a great time to rest, for reflective and slow steps, for paying closer attention to what is all around us, for not taking things for granted. Instead of rushing through the darkness and wishing it away, Advent would have us spend some time intentionally sitting in this darkness, remembering that it was out of the darkness that God summoned all things into being. It is from the darkness of the womb that life is birthed. It was through the darkness that a pillar of fire led the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt. And it was in the cold darkness of a tomb that Christ was raised from the dead. Wonderful and glorious things happen in the dark. And perhaps God has brought us to a moment such as this to learn the lessons of the dark. So how do we do that? Well, one way would be to take five or ten minutes and think about all the things in your life that feel burdensome. What weighs you down? Where do you feel like you're in the dark? Uncertain about where to step next? What frightens you? Give it some serious thought and write down those things that come to mind and then offer those fears and anxieties to God. Trusting that in the words of Psalm 139, 
For God, darkness is not dark. The night is as bright as the day. To God, darkness and light are both alike. And from that sense of security in God, we can then have courage to name the fact that we are in the dark, instead of pretending otherwise. In faith, we name the places where we need salvation, the places that are in the shadows, places like systemic racism, like an economy that routinely crushes those in poverty, like a church more interested in self-preservation than proclaiming the fullness and radicality of the gospel. Naming the darkness is an important act of faith and hope. And this is true because as we know from the opening of John, the true light, Jesus Christ, was coming into the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. This is the hope of the promise of which Jeremiah writes, that God will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. In the Hebrew mind, justice is not an ideal. Justice is not an abstract idea that we work towards. Rather, justice is a measurable and quantifiable metric. You can see justice or injustice by looking at incarceration rates, by looking at wealth disparities, by looking at homelessness in a particular area, by looking at our budgets and our calendars. Justice is not some future goal. It is a present benchmark. And when the light of Christ shines into the dark corners of injustice, we have to decide if we will follow that light or not. Will we avoid difficult situations and uncomfortable conversations? That's how injustice is perpetuated. Rather, justice is done when we follow the light of Christ. And it's not just about those people out there that need light to shine on them, but within our very souls. Are we willing to accept our forgiveness if it means that we have to acknowledge our mistakes, our brokenness and neediness? Can we find healing from the pains and the traumas that we have spent so much time stuffing down? We've gotten so used to avoiding dark that even when the light starts to shine there, we will resist going to those places that we have ignored for so long. Indeed, God is working out his purpose in history, bringing justice to the places where sin and death used to be in control. Do we let that light shine or put it under a bushel? Throughout the season of Advent, the colics are all particularly splendid. A collect, which is pronounced collect, not collect, is the opening prayer that changes each week, that gathers us together and focuses our prayerful intentions for the week. And this week's collect was composed in 1549. So for nearly 500 years, Anglicans have been using this prayer to begin Advent. It names the fact that it is only by grace that we can cast away the works of darkness. We don't have to be strong enough or good enough or holy enough to cast out darkness, but we rely on the Holy Spirit working in us to help us put on that armor of light, the armor of love. 
And Jesus cautions us about this very thing, to not let our hearts get weighed down, because darkness certainly will weigh us down. It will distract us from seeing the light. It will make us mistrust and fear the searing and purging light of God's grace. So while Advent might begin in the dark, it does not end there. For one, Advent delivers us to the doorstep of Christmas when we receive the fullness of God's promise to bring forth that branch from David. But Advent is not primarily about getting ready for Christmas. Instead, Advent is a preparation for when Christ shall come again in clouds descending. As the collect this morning put it, it is about when Christ shall come in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, that is, to fully and finally establish justice and righteousness on earth as it is in heaven. And in the meantime, as we wait for that day, we fix our eyes on the light of Christ. This is what the Advent wreath is intended to help us do, to focus on the light. Today's psalm proclaims, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. My God, I put my trust in you. Another favorite for many of us is Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where is my help to come. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I was recently called over to the hospital to meet someone arriving to the ER. I got there before the ambulance did, and so I had to wait outside. And as I was waiting, I looked up to the night sky and offered prayers for God's peace and healing grace to be with the person on their way there. And as I was looking up, praying and longing for God's help, someone else walked up to me and said, what are you looking at? Is the helicopter about to take off? I wasn't really sure what they were talking about, and I just said, I don't think so, and they walked away. But it's a very literal example of what Flann Flannery O'Connor meant when she wrote, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. <laughs> odd like lifting up our eyes when it seems like the only thing up there is darkness. When we lift our eyes up to God, some might think that it is odd or Pollyannish. And while we do have to acknowledge and name the darkness, we also have to be careful not to prefer living there because it seems normal. We never want darkness to be what is accepted as normal. But when we are accustomed to the dark, light can be overwhelming. It can be blinding. It can be searing. And so in addition to naming those places of darkness this Advent, I would commend to you to name the places of light. Who is an acolyte, a light bearer for you? Where do you feel the warmth and light of Christ? And once you have identified those people and those places, figure out how you can spend more time basking in the light of God's grace. In this season of Advent, maybe you put some more focus on prayer, or scripture reading, or service, or making art, or walking a labyrinth, or coming to morning or evening prayer in our chapel once a week. Those moments of grace and peace are preparing us for the joys of heaven, where Christ seeks to bring us. 
Now, I know that this is a busy time of year, and I know that things are not yet normal. Advent is a gift given to us by God through the church in which we are taken into the darkness to learn what we need to learn there and then see that God is working to make all things right in the light of Christ. This is a season of giving and receiving gifts. And for the gift of God's grace, we give thanks. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.